In my years of ministry, I have been asked to do an exorcism exactly once. It was a memorable occasion. Uh, I was a part of a church in Cambridge, Massachusetts called the Outdoor Church, where we uh, twice a Sunday and sometimes in the week worshiped outside together. We will hold worship services outside because most of the members of our church um, were homeless and didn't feel comfortable walking into the, the imposing buildings and imposing communities where worship was available. And so we would gather outside and we would take communion and we would say the serenity prayer, we would read a scripture and we would talk about it. And that was our worship. And we had one more act of worship, which was that we would go out into the streets together with peanut butter and jelly and turkey and ham sandwiches and socks, um, which if you've ever been homeless in a cold area, you know are precious uh, and needed. And we would take our socks and uh, give them out to anybody who needed them, not just people who worshiped with us, but anybody, no matter what was going on, um, no matter whether they seemed like they were in need or not, we wandered the streets for a few hours every Sunday uh, with things to offer. And so we were wandering the streets, and a, a funny thing, if you've never had this experience, if you wander the streets in a collar, people will have questions for you. People will talk to you. There is a thirst to speak about God. There is a thirst to speak about religion on our streets. And if you are publicly available, people want that resource. And so we're wandering the streets with our sandwiches and our socks, and we come to a gentleman um, <clears throat> who is clearly agitated. He's like shaking a little bit and he comes up and really invades my space. Um, and so I'm sort of uh, taken aback and he says to me, there's a demon in my back. <clears throat> and at first I thought I misheard him and I said, oh, uh, sir, I'm sorry, what? And he said, there's, there's a demon right here in my back. There's a demon in my back. Can you make it go away? Um, and it's, it's, I really want to be there for him, but it's really important me not to make promises that I can't keep. And so I say, um, I don't know if I know how to do that, uh, but I can certainly pray for you. And we have communion if you want. We had on-the-go communion. And he said, there's a demon in my back, and I need to get it out. Um, and I said, well, I can definitely pray. That's what I can do. I'm so sorry. And he pointed to one spot in his lower back, and he said, this is where it is. Can you pray right there? And I said, I absolutely can, for sure. And so I held my hand to that one spot on his back, and I invited my friends over, and we all extended ourselves, and we prayed. We prayed for that demon that he had found in that spot on his lower back, and we prayed for him to be released from it, and we prayed um, for his extraordinary wholeness and value in the eyes of God and for God's grace to reach him. And we prayed for that demon in his back and I did not know what I was doing and I did not know if I was helping, but I knew that I had been asked. And so I was gonna do what I had been asked. Um, and at the end, he was crying and so are we and it was this, uh, just a, a connecting experience. <laughs> a moment where we were in the same moment. And, and I think probably that didn't keep the demons away forever. Um, I met him again, and, and I, I don't think that that moment was the kind of exorcism that Jesus does in this Bible story. Uh, I don't know what was happening to him or how we would describe it, but I know that the way that he experienced his demon was in a desperate need to connect to someone. And I know that he asked us <laughs> to help, and so we did. And so I think about that. I think about that moment when I read this scripture 
of a very, very different request for an exorcism, or rather a request to not have one, right? And this strange story that interpreters have struggled with <laughs> for thousands of years, it, it doesn't make sense even when you compare it to other Jesus miracles. It doesn't make sense even when you compare it to other Jesus demon stories. It's very hard to figure out what is happening here. Um, <clears throat> Jesus crosses a sea just to go to this one spot, just to go to this one place, and asks for the name of this man who he sees. And the man says, right, I am legion which has now become the name of like five different television shows, 10 different movies. This has been an inspiring moment for pop culture, the I Am Legion moment. Um, we are many. And uh, the demons ask him not to mess with them. Oh, son of God, don't interfere with us. And they ask to be put into the pigs, and Jesus says yes, and then they drive off a cliff. And there's been all kinds of explanations over time. Here's One explanation is legion is the word for... Uh, a Roman uh, unit of soldiers. And so one of the ideas is that this man is a veteran. He's a veteran of the wars. And the legion that lives inside of him is his shell shock, as they would have called it in World War II. It's his trauma from the war. It's the legion and what he saw the legion do that continues to live in him as demons. One explanation, um, and people tend to give this a lot, this is the most common, it's kind of 21st century, is mental illness, right? He had schizophrenia, and that's what's happening. Um, and that really explains his experience. It does not help me with the pigs on the cliff, you know? That just like, doesn't help me with that part of the story. Um, other folks uh, have said that the story is really um, a fable about uncleanness that all of the things that the people around Jesus thought were unclean and unredeemable and unacceptable, pigs, people with spirits inside of them, people who we don't understand, people who have been sent to live on the margins with the dead, dead people themselves, all of those things that the people thought were unclean, unredeemable, terrible, are actually still filled with the spirit of God. And there's no place we can go where goodness does not rest where there is not something to connect to, where humanity has been lost. I like all those. I find all those helpful. But still, there remains for me in this scripture mystery and weirdness and stuff that I can't figure out. Um, and when that's the case, sometimes I just like to live with it and figure out what I can take from the story, what, how I can understand my experience with God and where I might go next. And in this one, here's what I think the scripture demons have in common with our language of inner demons have in common with my personal experience, which is that all of us, I think, have experienced having something inside of us, a part of us or not a part of us, that feels like it doesn't have our best interests at heart some voice or some impulse that consistently leads us towards harm instead of wholeness, that leads us towards pain instead of joy, that feels like it doesn't have uh, the best intentions for us at its center, even though it's a part of us. I think most of us have something like this. I used to experience this when I would uh, get very, very anxious um, I would get very, very anxious about one thing, and then I would sort of solve that thing, whatever I was worried about, where the thing was, what I was doing, and then immediately something else would replace it. 
right? And, and for a while, I kept trying to play the game of figuring out the thing that was making me anxious, making sure that the door was closed, or making sure that I had turned the thing in, or making sure that my friend was okay. And then I just realized, no, there's a part of my brain that wants me to be fearful. <laughs> it's always going to find something, right? There's this part of me that's causing me this pain. And it's a part of me, but it's causing me pain. And that's where I begin to understand this idea <laughs> of demons. This idea, not that there are little red guys running around, which is neither scriptural nor particularly reasonable, right? Um, but that we experience in the world the presence of suffering and evil and pain. And there are things that we want to do about that with God. So I want to share with you a couple of the demons I thought of as I was thinking through demons. And I found a little picture for them that's not too scary so that I didn't get too scared. And I'm going to tell you about a couple of my demons. Should be coming up in a second. This is our drum roll. Yeah. So here are some of my demons. My little tiny scary demons. These are mine. Yours are probably different, right? Yours come from somewhere else or yours feel somewhat different. But here are a few of mine. One of my demons is jealousy. I used to think that I could not be a jealous person because I'm not jealous in romantic relationships. I've never really been jealous that someone was going to steal my husband. I've never been jealous that someone was going to like yank my boyfriend out of my hands. That just like wasn't a thing that I felt. And so I thought that I didn't feel this green monster of jealousy until I realized that I frequently feel intense, painful, rageful causing of hate jealousy uh, in my friendships and in uh, general like attitudes towards myself that I feel very, very jealous sometimes, not all the time, of what I feel like other people have that I should have, or um, an ease of life they seem to have where life just never feels that easy to me, <laughs> right? It just really seems like some people have it all together. Uh, and I know that they don't, right? I know that Facebook is a lie. I know that we put on masks. I understand this rationally, and yet inside of me, there is a demon monster that thinks, why do some people have it so easy, and why don't I have it like that? Uh, I have... I, this doesn't really happen anymore, but the places in my life where I found jealousy, uh, when I used to sort of, um, you know, you're like a teenager, you're in your early 20s, you're like very confused about everything in the world, and you don't have a strong sense of self-worth. When I was feeling in those moods, every friendship felt so precarious to me. Because I was like, why would anyone want to be friends with me? And so they don't get jealous of everyone else that they were friends with, right? This is the place where jealousy lived inside of me. It caused me to be... Uh, suspicious and not nice to others in my orbit. It didn't help me at all. It served absolutely no purpose except to mess things up for me and make me feel bad, and yet there it was, right? There it was inside of me. There it is. Here's another one of my demons. Some of you may share this. This is a classic. This is one of the, you know, top seven, uh, <laughs> right? The most famous, which is sloth. And that not the cute, adorable animal that we all love and wish we could hold, um, but sloth uh, in, as in acedia, sloth as in slowness, sloth as in an inability to do. I have these moments where I just, I know, I know that I'll feel better, right? That where I'm very, very tired or I'm feeling like just ennui with the world, I know 
I'll feel better if I call a friend. I know I'll feel better if I go to boxing class. I know I'll feel better if I go do something and I just can't find the energy or the will or the motivation, right? Inside, it's just like, no. I know that it would be smarter to do the thing that I need to get done by five days from now today. Is that gonna happen? No, that's not gonna happen, right? I'm gonna do it four days from now. I know that my marriage would be easier if I would just go clean up the stupid thing that I left in the stupid place, but I don't. Uh, I'm not proud of these things. It's just what happens. It's inside of me. I don't want to. It feels like too much. It feels like if I do one more thing, like now thinking about it, I can see how rational it is, but it feels like if I walk from here to there to do the thing, if I go from sitting to standing to do the thing, it will literally take so much energy, I will fall over and die, right? <laughs> it just feels like, no, I don't have it. It's not there. And that's a lie that I'm telling myself to get out of these things that I know will be better for me and for others. But it lives inside of me, that thing that causes harm instead of wholeness, right? That thing that gives me excuses <laughs> to not be of love and of grace and of connection to the world, that gives me excuses to not do the things that I've committed and promised to do. It lives inside of me. Here's the third. I didn't, I didn't know how to say this. I was like, workaholicism? Workaholic? Workaholic? I didn't know how to create the correct word form for this word. <laughs> but, so if anyone has grammar uh, gifts. Uh, so here's the thing. I, my, I love my dad. He is an amazing dad. He is a great dad. He is a workaholic to end all things, right? Just can't, like, cannot not have the phone. Like, we used to bring a fax machine on vacation. I, I don't know if you remember those. Um, and I would see how he could, he couldn't turn it off. Like, he would be present with us, and he loved us, but he also, like, part of him was always thinking about the thing. And I always thought, oh, I'm aware of that. I see how that's a problem, right? I'm aware. I'm aware, so I'll avoid. Awareness didn't help, you guys. <laughs> I am fully aware of my family's unhealthy pattern, and yet I live it out every day. I'm totally aware, and I can't stop doing it. I can't stop doing it. I will be in, I will be with family or friends and know absolutely the church will be fine if you don't check your email right now. 100% that thing can wait four hours and I can't stop myself, right? Even though I know that it's irrational, and even though I know that it's not what you all expect of me, I can't stop it. Even though I saw how it hurt someone that I loved, I can't stop it, right? My awareness, I always thought it would work, and it hasn't. <laughs> With all of these things, um, I, I honestly don't know if I'm ever gonna get rid of any of these things. Right? I'm not telling you so that in a year I can give the sermon where like, Jesus fixed me, you know? Like, no, I'm totally fine and I always do everything on time and I feel really great about myself and I like never have unhealthy work habits. Um, I'm telling you about these things, right? Like, um, I don't think I'm gonna get there. I don't know, like, I would love it if Jesus just came and put them into, you know, maybe like a stuffed pig instead of a real one so I don't have to watch it die. Like, I don't know, I would love that, but um, I don't think it's happening. But I'm telling you about them because of this. What I learned from watching Jesus and Legion is not that demons are tiny creatures we always need to be on the watch for and that we need to be on the watch for in other people. This is where churches get really dangerous when they look for demons in others instead of looking for demons in yourself. Jesus, right? Nobody ever does this in the Bible. Take that out right quick. 
but that um, our relationship to our demons, because we all have them, I don't know what yours are, but I think you probably do know what they are, uh, whether it's addiction or whether it's um, resentment, right? Whether it's needing to feel powerful over others, manipulation, or feeling powerless all the time and not taking responsibility. I don't know what yours are, but we all have them. I would much rather name my demons than have my demons name me. I would much rather name my demons than have my demons name me. And what I learned from this story is that I think that those are the options. Becoming perfect isn't an option, or else we would have met somebody who did it and we'd all be reading their book. <laughs> but we can't get to a place where our demons are so fully in charge of us, right? Unless it's, abs sometimes illness takes it out of our hands, right? Sometimes that is taken out of our hands completely. But where the demon is the only part of ourselves that we can see, where the demon is the only thing that's in charge, where Legion gets to name this man and not even say the name that he was born with or had in his family and community. I think if we don't name our demons, they will take over and they will name us. The only thing I have ever found to be helpful with depression is just telling another person that I have it. Doesn't fix it right away, but it helps. The only thing I've ever felt to be helpful with, with sloth, with workaholism, with jealousy, with all of this stuff, is telling somebody that I'm having it. Not, that, not to make them make me get over it, but to tell someone and be honest about what's going on so that I can be honest about keeping myself accountable, so that I can be honest about keeping us together. When we name our demons instead of letting our demons name us, we can ask for help. When we name our demons instead of letting our demons name us, we can be honest about the pain that we've caused and try and move forward in reconciliation. When we name our demons instead of letting our demons name us, we remember that they aren't the only thing that we are. They may be present and strong and powerful, but also we are children of God with gifts and graces. Also, we are whole and valuable and perfect, and God has looked at us and said, you are good. When we name our demons out loud to each other aggressively all the time, not trying to pretend that there is no weakness, our demons won't name us, and instead we will remember the names that God has given us that enable us to go forward totally imperfect, totally messed up, having lots of problems, sometimes being healed of those things and sometimes suffering for a long time, but much, much more than just the things that cause us pain. We are so much more. And let's remember it. Amen? Amen. Amen.